Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Escape. We have episode number 216 today. Uh, we are joined by Kyle Buller. Um, he is the co-founder of Psychedelics Today. Um, he is also has a side thing going on called Suns, uh, Setting Sun Wellness, which you should check out. I'll put both of those links down below. I do have the Psychedelics Today podcast link down below if you want to go listen to that. I know they did a special episode yesterday for 920, uh, the uh, mushroom holiday, if you will. And uh, before we get started here, Everybody, why don't you head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast For just $2 a month, you'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. Uh, we do have some recent stuff I put up there. Uh, we have one, we just had Rick Strassman on. We did um, a segment with him I put up there. We had one with Matthew Clark on What Was Soma, who's he's the author of Botanical Ecstasies. Just put that up on there, as well as a segment with, the, <clears throat> excuse me, Laird Scranton. So go check those out. Uh also, head on over to indrasweb.org. This is a social media platform we crea- uh, created to connect open minds. Uh, it is not in the App Store yet. We are working on that. Um, and also, there has been some stuff going on with that. So, we'll, we'll keep you updated on that as well. Uh, and one more thing, if anybody's interested, that is a picture of the Mind Escape t-shirt we will be auctioning off. Not auctioning, that's a bad word. We're going to be giving away. Uh, to anybody that leaves us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and uh, we're going to pick a winner at the end of the month of October. So if you're interested, take a screenshot of your review and uh, send us to our email at mindescapepodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, we will uh, pick a winner at the end of October. So, uh, But without further ado, welcome on the podcast. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for joining us. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, you are the other half. We've had Joe on a couple times, and uh, um, you, you guys do the Psychedelics Today podcast. And what's your role within the Psychedelics Today um, uh, organization? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm one of the co-founders. So Joe and I started this over five years ago. I think our first episode released in May of 2016. Um, and yeah, we've been getting a little bit more formalized. So I guess I'm taking on the, the title of director of training and clinical education. So really kind of streamlining our education platform and uh, offerings there. So we typically run an eight-week course for clinicians, therapists, and other people that really want to learn about psychedelics. Um, So kind of creating that that space over there. Awesome, yeah. Uh, And uh, yeah, I do enjoy listening to your podcast. You guys have a lot of great guests that come on. And um, obviously, you do a lot of great work within the community. And it's not just the podcast stuff. You guys do events and connect people and all sorts of wonderful things. So uh, we really appreciate that. Um, what, what, what's your background in this? Like, how did you get into psychedelics? How did you get into this whole, um, topic or movement, if you will? Yeah. Um, try to do the short version here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, you know, I guess I was kind of really interested in consciousness at a young age, you know, just kind of going back in my history. I remember, just, uh, you know, experimenting with consciousness. I was just reminiscing with a friend the other day, just love spinning around in circles um, and just feeling things move. And then, so I feel like I I definitely was uh, kind of tapped into something as a kid. And then I lost it, as I think most kids do, as you, your ego uh, like evolves and grows and you become more structured. Um, Came across meditation when I was 15. I was reading a book called Snowboarding to Nirvana. It was about this guy who went over to Nepal, ran into a monk, and the monk taught a meditation. And I thought it was just really cool how they incorporated meditation into, like, you know, flow states and enhancing something like snowboarding. And I was a snowboarder back then, so I was trying to, um, you know, bring that into what I was doing. Um, And then about a year later, after reading that book, I kind of joke around and say I snowboarded to Nirvana. I got in a really bad snowboarding accident about a year later. And um, that really kind of put me on this path. I ended up rupturing my spleen, 
had massive internal bleeding. Uh, by the time I got, yeah, by the time I got to the hospital, um, I lost about five to five and a half pints of blood internally. So the doctor said if I came in five or ten minutes later, I would have been dead on arrival. Um, so that experience really changed my life in in a lot of different ways. Woke up from that experience and just like had a totally different view on reality um, and and what we're doing here. Uh, I definitely ride it out a, a nice high after that and said, wow, I'm so thankful to be alive. And then all of a sudden, a pretty dark depression, existential crisis started to to move in. Um, And that was really challenging, Um, not really having the supports around me to navigate this psycho-spiritual crisis that I just went through. Um, And I think, yeah, a few years later, I stumbled across psilocybin. I think I was 19 um, at the time. And that experience helped me to recontextualize that, that, that trauma, specifically kind of like the psycho-spiritual trauma. After I woke up from my near-death experience, I felt like I talked to something or something gave me information. I, I didn't have the visuals to really kind of, um, you know, make it reality. I just knew deep in my bones something happened on a, on a really profound level. So really interesting. You got to chat with Rick Strassman. He's, uh, you know, he was definitely a huge inspiration. Um in the beginning, um, stumbling across DMT, the spirit molecule. And I think in that book, he actually mentioned something about uh, people that have near-death experiences and have anesthesia, like at that point where, where people are starting to have that, it seems to suppress visual hallucinations or the visual aspects of the near-death experience. And so I didn't have that traditional near-death experience of going down a tunnel of light and feeling like you know I have my choice to come back here. All I remember was I was in the CAT scan machine, uh, you know, kind of slowly slipping away as, you know, there's no blood circulating through me and the doctor's just telling me not to fall asleep. But a voice came over me and said, you know, you're going home. Uh, You're going back to the stars where we all come from. And this physical life is going to cease to exist, but you'll continue on. And the more you struggle with this process, the harder it's going to be. So the more that you can relax into it, uh, the easier the transition is going to be. And I just remember feeling so blissed out going, I'm going home. This is what we all wait for. Um, And so waking up from that, it was just really confusing. I said, well, I feel like I went somewhere, but I don't have like the visual aspect to really make that concrete. And I think in our culture, we need to kind of see it to believe it. Um, And I think that's what psilocybin did for me at that age. Um, I was, I, you know, I wasn't expecting it. I went to you know, we always talk about set and setting and making sure you're, you're doing this in, in a good mindset. Um, but I was in a pretty bad mindset. I, I, you know, took it with this escapism mentality. I just wanted to kind of leave everything behind. Um, I was struggling with a lot of kind of suicidal ideation, which was really a yearning to go back to that blissful state um, that I experienced when I was dying. And so after that, uh, that psilocybin experience, I had the visual kind of a representation. Um, this experience came up where, you know, I had this contact with some sort of entity. I felt like I was in some sort of death bardo. Um, and it just really kind of blew my mind. And I just kept going, how the hell could I eat something that was so on par with dying and could like reproduce a near death experience for me? Um, and I just became so fascinated. Ended up coming across Terrence McKenna uh, right after that, and then uh, Rick Strassman's work. And Rick Strassman's work didn't, um, like the title DMT didn't catch me. It was in the subtitle. It said something about near death and mystical experiences, like research into that. And that's actually what caught my attention. So I had no idea what the hell DMT was when I picked up that book. But as I started to read it, I started to kind of put some theories together of thinking, okay, like, you know, he has this DMT hypothesis that, you know, when people are are having near-death experiences, maybe you do have a flood of release of endogenous DMT. Well, psilocybin is kind of like this early active dose of DMT. If I took enough, maybe that's why it felt so similar. Um, And I know his hypothesis is, um, I don't know, it'd be interesting to hear what you guys were chatting about with uh, Dr. Strassman. Um, But I remember, yeah, when, uh, like I saw him back in 2010, at his uh the the viewing uh for dmt the spirit molecule and he was saying you know that was a hypothesis that everybody ran with truth um that the pineal gland produces dmt and et cetera et cetera so but you know that just exploring that at that age really kind of got me so fascinated around psychedelics so i ended up dedicating my life to it um i said you know i just have to study this so i ended up finding a 
psychology program and transpersonal psychology at a small little uh, college in Vermont called Burlington College and was able to do my undergrad in transpersonal psychology. That's where I uh, started to train in, in breathwork. That's how Joe and I met was through our, our, the same breathwork teachers. Um, and so I've been with them for about 10 years or so. And just every paper that I could write about psychedelics, I had the chance. I it's like, all right, I'm going to write, write about psychedelics. <laughs> so it felt like a, 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 a degree in, in psychedelic education to some degree. And no, that's how it kind of got started. That's awesome. That's a, that's a cool story. backstory. Um, and yeah, I mean, Rick's a great guy, very easy to talk to. And if you have different theories or hypotheses, you know, you can definitely run stuff by him and he's definitely cool about giving you his take on it. Um, yeah, we talked about the near-death stuff with him. We've had a lot of, like, near-death experts and experiencers on this show, too, because, like, you know, obviously your show, you guys mostly do psychedelics. You guys will have some different people on occasionally, I've seen. But uh, we do all sorts of, you know, we'll do near-death, ancient civilizations, philosophy, metaphysics. You know, we do the whole thing. But I Damn think the it. interesting thing about uh, all these things is some of them kind of all tie together, right? So like we're talking about yep. psychedelics, but we're talking about near death stuff, metaphysics, the nature of reality, uh, the mind and all that stuff. And I think that, uh, I think they all tie together in some way, some sort of connectiveness or, um, you know, they all go towards this bigger picture idea of what it means to be a human being and a person. Um, is there some aspect, <clears throat> excuse me, is there some aspect of, what you went through with your near death, you know, experience and, and stuff like that, that you felt like maybe opened the door to being more open-minded about like psychedelics and breath work and things like that. Or do you think that, um, it was something that was probably going to happen anyways? That's a good question. Um, I think that definitely opened my mind a whole bunch. Um, to, well, to some degree, it's actually really interesting thinking back. Um, so yeah, I was 16 when that happened. Um, and I was pretty anti-drug and substance right after that experience. Mm -hmm. Like in high school, all my friends were experimenting with alcohol or smoking cannabis and, you know, they were taking psychedelics and I had nothing to do with it. And I just couldn't kind of wrap my head around like, you know, why do people want to like alter their consciousness? Like this is the most amazing thing ever to, to be here. And I, you know, I, I think I was just really kind of still riding off that high of like and just understanding how fragile my body is. Um, at that point, I'm like, do I want to put things in my body? Like, you know, now I'm missing this organ. And so I think I was dealing with some of that trauma. So, yeah, it's funny thinking about like the trajectory of my life. And, you know, I was chatting with some friends a few years ago. They're like, you're the most unlikely person <laughs> to get involved in, you know, drug, drug research, um, <laughs> psychedelics, just because I was so anti it that um in, in high school so i would say to some degree yeah the near-death experience opened me up to it but it also closed me down in those beginning years and you know as you're saying it's all related um you know when we start to talk about philosophy metaphysics psychedelics near-death experiences what are we doing here in the world um to me that's all kind of similar um and that definitely um, was really kind of catalyzed with that near-death experience coming back and just being like, you know, what are we doing here? And that's where a lot of that like heavy existential uh, crisis started coming from was asking the, these deeper questions around my purpose here in life. Why am I here? Um, there are so many times that I wish I the doctors didn't save me. Um, and, you know, it's always kind of hard. Now I'm, I'm very thankful for it. But, you know, there was a period where I just couldn't grapple like, I guess, wrap my mind around it of like, why am I still here? And so I was really struggling with those deep existential, um, you know, ideas. But I think that's where psychedelics kind of helped me really kind of recontextualize it a little bit and gave me an experience to maybe go back into that. Um, and I guess do some exploration on in a different way. Mm. Yeah, I love hearing. I mean, you know, I'm sure some people don't like the origin question at the beginning of podcasts. I do because I like the origins of things when I'm trying to figure yeah. out something or look into something. I always look at the origin to, you know, go from there. Uh, and I think yours is interesting. The fact that you were kind of anti that initially, I mean, we had a Maurice and I had a different, uh, path, you know, we 13, 14, we kind of both started smoking cannabis. And then, you know, soon after we were doing psilocybin and looking at Irwid and, 
looking at dosages <laughs> yeah. and just being like nerds about that kind of stuff. And we were in a jam band in high school and we were kind of like the outcasts and into fish and the grateful dead, all that kind of stuff. Um, we're reading like on the road and electric Kool-Aid acid tests. So we kind of had a different take on that, but I like hearing different people's perspectives. Cause I think ultimately that's what brings us together is that, that yeah. convergence point of like, how did we get into this one topic? So, um, where, where do you see psychedelics going in terms of the next five years? Because you guys have, you know, a good pulse on what's happening. You guys are big in the community. Um, you're always interviewing, you know, the people with the latest cutting edge research or people that are, you know, uh, activists and participating in a lot of the stuff. So where do you see this going in the next five years? I guess if you asked me this um, a few years ago, I probably would have only had one type of answer, and that was, you know, the clinical use FDA approval with MDMA and psilocybin. And, you know, most likely we'll see this integrated into therapy. And, yeah, having that FDA approval makes it more legit. Now with a lot of these initiatives that have taken off since, uh, you know, May 2019 with uh, Denver decriminalizing psilocybin and, you know, other city ordinances is following and then with Oregon legalizing psilocybin therapy I mean I would love to see a, a very diverse field um, and something I come back to is really being able to honor the different use contexts and you know really honoring kind of religious spiritual use what does that look like can we create a framework for that um, where we could have centers where people don't need a mental health diagnosis to have an experience or receive treatment, you know, more for self-exploration, spiritual development. Um, and then on the other side, yeah, more of the, the clinical development there, seeing clinics, seeing psychedelics more integrated into psychiatry and psychology, um, advancing that field a bit, um, also maybe pushing the ideas around psychology and psychiatry. Like, what, what does it mean? What, like, what, you know, what are the roots of mental illness? I mean, I, I just even think about some of my psychedelic experiences in the past, just examining some of that um, and, and how it's kind of really, I guess, like, had me view it a little bit differently. So I wonder around like transpersonal phenomenon that, you know, is elicited by psychedelic experiences, how could that shift the field a little bit more? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think in, you know, five years, we'll definitely see FDA approval of MDMA and psilocybin. Um, I think the pandemic slowed things down a bit for, for maps and whatnot. Um, but I think, you know, things are starting to get ramped back up and, and we'll see that integrated into psychiatry and mental health. And I'm just really excited about a lot of the grassroots movements I love seeing, yeah, again, what the decriminalization efforts are doing and what Oregon has done. Um, and I want to see a more kind of diversified field. Um, we'll also see probably big money come in. We've already seen a lot of big money come in, a lot of corporations starting out of nowhere. And it's like, whoa, like it, it's really hard to keep track of everything that's going on. I mean, it feels like there's new companies emerging in the space like every day or every week. And you know, somebody emails me and says, hey, have you heard of this? I'm like, first time I'm hearing of it, you know? And so things are things are really taking off. And it's also really hard to answer. I have no idea where it's going to be in five years. I remember when I started on this journey and I did my, I enrolled in the bachelor's program in 2010. I guess my interest in a lot of this stuff, specifically around psychedelics, probably started coming in around 2007, 2008. Um, and when I really made that decision, I remember I was like reading Stan Groff's book, LSD, Doorway to the Numinous, after a really, really um, challenging LSD experience I had when I was 20. And just saying, like, this is what I want to do with my life. And I remember, you know, telling people, like, yeah, I'm so interested in psychedelics. I, you know, I, I'd love to be a psychedelic therapist. I'm going to go to school for transpersonal psychology. And people are like, what? Like, there's no career in that. And, you know, just kind of like sticking to my guns because I had such a passion to it and going, no, like, you know, this is this is what I want to study. So, I mean, just even thinking in the past five years, how things have really accelerated, it almost feels really hard to vision what five years from now would look like. I mean, even the past two years, things have, have really taken off, but I'm excited. Um, it's hard to, you know, keep track of everything. Some days I'm like, whoa, my head is spinning with like all the development in the space, but um, mm -hmm. it's exciting yeah i know uh i mean maurice and i have loved cannabis forever and if you go back to if you had asked us in high school you know yeah. 
where it blew our mind. It, it would be recreationally legal in both of the places that we live. It would be I wouldn't believe you for sure, um, based on what was going on at the time. Um, do you think though that even that? Do you think that adds some sort of mystical element in itself? This thing, it's like not you're not supposed to do it, so therefore there's this. You have to be secretive. It's almost like a almost connected to like how you would look at like ancient rituals or being like an initiated member of some sort of um, society or something like that. Do you think that that adds like a certain element? Not that it's a good thing, but just that that might have been how it was. I mean, that's a really interesting question. And I'm like, you know, I've definitely asked myself this uh, pretty often of are things going to change from more of like an experience perspective like how does the experience change when it starts to come out of the underground are these substances going to have that kind of like sacred container where yeah most indigenous uh, peoples that that have used these substances kind of had that container for it or even just thinking about like the Eleusinian mysteries right I mean it was punishable by death to talk about it and mm-hmm. those went on for over 2,000 years Alcibiades profaned it and was you know I think it was that 403 or 405 BC I mean that that was a big deal that he did that at that dinner party we're still talking about it to this day yeah so I wonder how like what happens when we commodify the sacred I don't know. Um, something that we'll we'll explore as it starts to happen more often. Yeah, that's definitely something I think about too. Because I mean, I've talked about it a million times. I'm not going to go in, but definitely psilocybin has helped my OCD, which I never thought I would have any sort of relief at one point. I mean, it was just miserable, the worst I could have ever imagined feeling. Um, but it allowed me to kind of look at myself outside of myself and it allowed other things like CBT therapy and just more um, introspective thinking and mindfulness and all those things to come into place. Um, but the mystical side of it, the thinking that there's more to life or there's more than what meets the eye or maybe there's actual purpose, you know, because I know if you ask most scientists or even modern philosophers, they would say purpose is like a human creation. It's not a real thing in the universe, which I would probably mm-hmm. disagree with that based on everything we talk about and uh, discuss on the show. But I know the mystical side of things has always been the thing that interests me. That's the thing that helped me too. So what you were saying yeah. about it'll be interesting once we take the stigma out of it, will it change the ex- experience in any way? And I think that that's where it comes down to. Is it the mystical aspects of it or is it the actual compounds doing these things i mean i don't know if you have a take on that i think it's uh it's both right because i think there's sometimes people get benefit when they don't have that breakthrough mystical experience um so i think i think there is a both type of answer for that well everybody's different and that's always been my philosophy is i know people are against taking the psychedelic components out of the compounds and while that wouldn't work for me. I, something like tabernathalog might work for somebody who has serious addiction issues that maybe doesn't want to go through that grueling, intense psychedelic journey. Yeah, and I guess that comes down to what you're looking for, right? Um, you know, if you're really struggling with a lot of philosophical, spiritual issues, I think having that mystical breakthrough can be really important. But again, like, yeah, I, I was uh, moderating a a discussion for uh, the SciTech Summit a few months ago um, based on that question, taking the psychedelic experience out of the psychedelic. Um, and, you know, I think yeah, I've talked about this on the show, but just even thinking about people that suffer from cluster headaches, right? Um, some people find benefit from psilocybin and LSD. Um, you know, do you want to have to trip out all the time and have a profound mystical experience to cure your cluster headaches or would it actually be nice to you know be able to to take some medication that just curbs the pain Mm. um you know from people that i've here that that suffer from that i mean it just sounds absolutely uh, painful you know um yeah so when you look at like your podcast and your relationship with joe from I haven't listened to a ton, but I have listened to probably about 10 or 15 episodes of Psychedelics Today, some of your bigger guests. It seems like you're the more spiritual, mystical one of the two. Is that is that a, would that be a correct assessment? He's the Maurice of the group. <laughs> <laughs> is that how you are, Maurice? I'm more, I'm a lot, well, we both kind of started as mystical 
types. That's we were gonna call this thing mystical mazy, or <laughs> we had a couple of different ideas. But then uh, Michael's a little more rooted in science. I wouldn't say he's not off the the mystical path. But I'm in between. I like both. I like balancing the two. Yeah. Yeah. Joe comes off uh, very kind of like scientific on the show, but um, you know he is interested in the spiritual aspect. And I probably shouldn't speak too much about his belief system, um, but. Yeah, We've had it, him on, and I do remember we did get into some a little woo, you know. So yeah, like he's it's fun sometimes. To, yeah, the philosophy. The, I mean, he had a whole podcast called the Cult Sentinel, so you know he's definitely into the occult stuff as well. Um, yeah, I think we we bring an interesting balance. Um, you know, I really started to approach uh, a lot of this through my own kind of experiences, again, with that near-death experience, studying it academically um, through a, a program, um, thinking about it intellectually a whole bunch, and then clinically. So, like, you know, one aspect of I've been very focused on kind of the clinical application. I'm, I'm a counselor at the moment. Um, so, you know, that's the route I went down and, you know, really kind of preaching. I mean, the, it's been really interesting. The one thing I've really learned, um, you know, kind of working with Joe and, and talking to a lot of people in the psychedelic scene over the past five years at Psychedelics Today is when I went into this, um, you know, I said, you know, it has to be done in a certain container, a certain way. It needs to be done therapeutically or in some sort of spiritual container. Um, and I, I really kind of stood by that. And then talking to so many people and then hearing how Joe entered it, I mean, more along the lines with you guys, right, in the music scene, festivals and et cetera. And also finding the healing benefit in, in that, the more celebratory use. Um, and I, I think that's important. So yeah, I think Joe and I bring this like fun little balance where, yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll be kind of very clinically oriented and, you know, he can um, be a little bit more open about his experiences, um, in, in that celebratory nature. Yeah. And that's interesting what you said too, because being a part of the jam scene for so long and going to so many shows, I mean, we probably went to a few hundred concerts over the span of however many years since high school. Um, even just like dark star orchestra shows on the weekends in high school, like stuff like that. Um, I would say that the jam scene doesn't really implement a lot of that, like metaphysical mystical stuff. A lot of those people are just people trying to get away for yeah. a couple hours or whatever. And they have regular jobs or, you know, I just, um, it's interesting. And when I meet people like that on tour or at shows or whatever, we always have great conversations, but it doesn't seem like it's something that's prevalent in those communities. I don't know if you've experienced anything like that or. I could probably count the number of uh, festivals and, you know, kind of like th those jam fest like bands have been to on my on all five like it hasn't been many but i do remember um going to mountain jam in new york and you know everybody's kind of decked out in their their hippie gear tie-dye and i'm just wearing you know like a polo like kind of looking a little preppy and you know i'm talking to all these people that are tripping and it was just it felt very surface level at times mm. and i always wanted to go deeper i'm like you know yeah. i want to go like really deep in the philosophical questions the spiritual questions and so you know for my just brief experience there hanging around that scene every once in a while um that's how i felt and, and i think that's why i was so big on containership and and kind of like intention on going in is i think i saw a lot of that escapism and going like you know why do we want to escape from our experience and in our life at times because it feels mundane it's it's you know really stressful you know, right. maybe we're trapped in things we don't like doing there's a lot of suffering um and yeah i definitely get caught in that of yeah you know, wanting to escape things from time to time but yeah i guess like w my approach is that you know all the magic is happening right here mm. in each moment and if we can really slow down to appreciate that um life in itself is psychedelic and psychedelics can really just amplify that for us to to bring awareness into how beautiful everything is in each moment. Hmm. Yeah, well said. <laughs> Jinx. Boom. Um, <clears throat> I always thought that that was interesting in the sense that even if you look at like Jerry Garcia, if you look at what Jerry Garcia is into or was into, uh, a lot of esoteric stuff, a lot of esoteric texts. Um, you know, if you even listen to some of his trip reports, I think he even talks about like. DMT like insectoid beans and uh, lots of weird stuff like that and I always thought it was weird 
being on tour talking with some of these people, like I said, that just don't really want to delve into that realm of things yeah. and are just there to kind of like mindlessly escape and listen to some cool music. And it's more, I guess maybe because it's more predicated around listening to the music and being a part of that culture than it is like thinking outside of that maybe is the mindset. But Well, too, in that setting, I mean, it could probably be super overwhelming if you're in a group of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and well, not hundreds of thousands, but, you know, hundreds, two thousands of people. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, you're really high on mushrooms or LSD or you just smoke DMT. And now all of a sudden you have these, these entities talking to you and you know, (laughs) how, how just disrupting is that? How disorienting is that? You know, I remember when I was at that mountain jam festival, again, I think it was like 20 at that point, or maybe it was, I was 19. Um, you know, I ate some mushrooms and I was hanging out on this hill. I was away from the crowd. Um, I was just kind of by myself looking down and, and hearing the music from afar and even just seeing that many people and just feeling all that energy. It was too overwhelming for me. I, I ended up going back to my tent and just having like a solo experience just because I couldn't contain because I, I guess I'm very internal when it comes to that stuff. And to try to I, I definitely get overwhelmed um, by the external environment like too quickly and so that's why i think i never really kind of um could do that i always was kind of envious of my friends that you know talked about taking psychedelics and going to a festival and just dancing um for me I, I, I would try doing that in recreational settings but my experience always led down to a mystical or like not always mystical, but, you know, it gets so deep where, you know, that bad trip would start coming out. You know, I'd get so down into crazy thought patterns and thought loops and go, you know, thinking like about death and life and the cosmos and what am I, and, you know, I'd have to just remove myself from certain situations and be like, this is just too overwhelming to be around so many people. But I was always envious of my friends that could do that and really enjoy the moment and be like, oh yeah, just dance. And yeah, the reason why I bring that up though, is because I went through different, like, Early on, my I remember my first psilocybin experience. I think I was 15, maybe early 16. Um, and just thinking, because I was raised Catholic, just thinking that like I never had any connection to that realm of things other than maybe like a good moral platform or scaffolding or something like that. But other than that, I never really felt any connection to anything metaphysical. But then when I tried psilocybin for the first time, I'm like, oh, there it is. Mm. That's that's what this is. Um And then I kind of lost that. You get kind of tied up in like high school and just day-to-day consciousness and just get surviving, you know, and um, being in that environment. And uh, I didn't really start bringing it back around again until my spiritual awakening probably five years ago. So in between that time, I was one of those people that I'm talking about right now that would just go to these events or go to these concerts or didn't do these things and have fun. And it's fun, but... You know, there wasn't really any like reverence or like intention behind it. It was just kind of like an in the moment or I'm, you know, I want to enjoy the music like that or something along those lines. So, again, I just wanted to point out the that uh, that there Um, in terms of. What do you when you think about your experience that you had when you're 16 and like everything you've learned from talking to all these guests and researching and actually having a proper education and background in some of these things. Um, what do you think, do you have any, has there been a change or shift in your consciousness or attitude towards this? Or do you think life is even more mystical now that you've gone through all that? Mm, mm. I think there's like two things that, that come up for me as you ask that. <clears throat> um, yeah, the one is, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, life itself is pretty psychedelic if we really are able to slow down and appreciate what's unfolding in front of us, you know, it can be really beautiful. It can also be really overwhelming when we have that much awareness (laughs) around what's going on. Um, The thing that I think I've been really chewing on and if anybody wants to check out uh, the past two episodes that we released at Psychedelics Today, the one with uh, Michelle, our special 920 event, um, or podcast. And then the other podcast was on spiritual emergence. And I forget the title of it, but it, it was pretty recent. Um, this concept of psychedelics and healing. And I think I've been really kind of uh, thinking about that pretty often. And I think that has shifted from my younger self 
having very transformative experiences and finding healing in these substances. Um, and I guess feeling like that's what it's, it, that's what, that's where, that's what it is. Um, and just being really passionate about that. I think I've been just been a little bit more critical over the years, talking to people that haven't found healing in psychedelics, um, you know, maybe have been traumatized by the experience. Um, and I'm just even thinking about the whole, one of the reasons why I got really <clears throat> interested in this was, yeah, that psilocybin experience, the near death experience. But <clears throat> I think I mentioned, you know, that's when I was reading Stan Groth, I was struggling with a really, really difficult <clears throat> LSD experience um, at 20. And I wish that upon nobody. <clears throat> well, I got to take a sip. <laughs> All good. I've been having I've been, baby. throat issues as well today. Yeah, <laughs> weird. Um, and that experience was really uh, disorienting to me and left me kind of stuck in a trip for like three to four months. To some degree... Looking back at it, it took me f at least five years to process that experience. And the way that I make sense of that was that was some sort of initiatory crisis. If we're talking about kind of more like, you know, a spiritual narrative, that was the event that really kind of got me on this path. That one threw me into the depths of hell that like I needed to find my way out. And so that's when I really started reading Groff and um, Ram Dass, the Tibetan book of living and dying. My reality was just crumbling. I was, I, I was definitely going through a spiritual emergence. Um, and would I say that that was a healing experience? No. Um, years later, I can say that that experience changed my life and got me set on this path to go on a healing journey to some mm -hmm. degree. But I mean, I regretted that experience for so long. I mean, my reality just completely shifted. Um, you know, I was really struggling with a lot of HPPD, so hallucinogen persisting perceptual disorder, like just seeing trails. I was having a really hard time driving at night. The lights, I became really sensitive to lights all of a sudden. So I would see cars pass and then their headlights would just trail like crazy. Um, and so it, it was really, really challenging to just stay grounded. And I felt like I was having like all these outer body experiences. But the whole visual thing re really, uh, really caused a lot of stress in my life. And if you look at some people um, in like those HPPD, communities on Facebook or Reddit. I mean, there are a lot of people that struggle. Um, and so I think I'm really kind of questioning this narrative around psychedelics kind of being this silver bullet, the way that a lot of the mainstream media seems to present it based off of the research. Um, and, you know, what happens when people don't have that experience? Um, and are they always healing? And then this kind of gets into, I guess, like some of the shamanic components as well. Um, you know, and, and, I was chatting with uh, somebody a while ago and they were saying in the, the tribe that they studied with, uh, I forget it was, if it was in Brazil or Peru, they would only drink ayahuasca when they really, really needed it. And I said, well, well why was that? And they said, well, every time you go into that realm, it would have consequences. There would be kind of be ripple effects that would come out into the community. Um, and I don't know if any of you have had any of those types of experiences where you get into a very weird trip space and all of a sudden strange things start happening around you and you go what the hell is going on here and there does sometimes seem to be some sort of re relationality relationship between those two realms but however you want to define that i don't i don't have good terminology there i guess the shamanic worldview would say that's like the the spirit realm um and you know they're having an influence on our reality um and you know i've definitely had some interesting experiences in the past with that where now you start to kind of get into more of this like metaphysical spiritual stuff of like what are we doing with these substances what's their power what's their potential what type of realms are we you know tapping into when people do have you know these really profound mystical experiences with entity contacts what the hell is that all about who are they are they real do they have any influence over our life um so i start thinking like more on that like shadow side from time to time just interesting to explore yeah i know a lot of people bring in young and his work and uh, tying it to like these entities in terms of like the subconscious coming out and you having a conversation with yourself as a possibility to explain what's going on. I know we asked Rick this and I mean, I don't think he ruled out the possibility of them being external. I know we've had a couple people on and I can identify, I think I would go along with this theory is that maybe some sort of epigenetic memory, uh, comes out within that experience. Um, and you know, one thing we mentioned 
or I brought up to Rick too is the I don't know if you're familiar with there's there was a documentary DMT Quest which we've had John Chavez on the mm, show. Yeah. So it's a it's a really good documentary but the the latter half of it is all like science-based stuff. Um and he goes to he talks about in one part in the documentary there's a researcher talking about uh, there's this Dr. Stephen Barker guy at LSU that found levels of DMT increased in animal brains when LSD was administered. So there's mm. this like theory now, it's called the endogenous hallucinogen neuronal system agonist theory, which is that everything is predicated on DMT, is playing off of the DMT as opposed, like that's in our system, as opposed to each one of these compounds doing something separately on its own, if that makes sense. Super interesting. I haven't heard of that. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, I know. And the thing though is that that study wasn't really published and there's not really a lot of funding. Even those U of M, uh, studies that are, you know, with the, the, the finding the DMT in the brain and all that, all those were like underfunded too. So, I mean, I, I this is definitely, uh, if you're, if you're interested in like the, the nature of reality and you're a scientist, I don't know why, who's, who's not funding these things. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, for me, these are the most interesting questions. Like, I don't know if you ever stumbled across the work of Daniel McQueen. No, I haven't. He, he, he uh, yeah, he does like conscious cannabis, but I ran a webinar series with him. I don't know if you've heard of the DMTX project. I mean, uh, Strassman has, uh, I think, heard of it or has done some consulting on it. Andrew Gallimore um, wrote about it as well. I forget who really kind of started the idea, but Check that uh, out. yeah, Daniel McQueen ended up kind of running with it for a bit. And um, yeah, we did a four part webinar webinar series a few years ago, but the concept is to um, have an extended state of, of DMT. And so hooking you up with an IV pump. Um, so you get that uh, the DMT concentrations and the blood plasma consistently versus you oh, know, know. a lot, a lot I, of people are saying, Oh, why don't you just like drink ayahuasca? But this is consistent yeah. levels of DMT in the blood. And I mean, I don't even know, like that is so, that is so interesting. Like we're talking about space exploration, but what happens if we can hang out in a DMT space consistently for 15 minutes? I mean, <laughs> I didn't well, know that. Actually, like well, I didn't know that that's what you were talking about. We do know a decent amount about that. We've had Andrew Galmore on a few times, but we, I didn't know that that's who the guy that was running the study, but we just, uh, we've had these guys, D, uh, the Dreaming Jaguars on a few times. They run this YouTube channel. They're about to interview, I think, one of the first people to come out of that. They actually have done mm. those tests now at Imperial College. Um uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that they found some interesting results. I don't know how long it was like 30 minutes or something like that. Uh, I could be wrong, but, uh, yeah, I know that the, they have done those now at this point. I don't know where everything lies in terms of science. I think they're waiting for the papers to come out, but uh, I didn't know that that's who the person was behind it. But yeah, I, I do. There are, I think a few people, but yeah. I yeah. Know, the extended, I, I've always heard it as the extended stay DMT experiments. DMT, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, I don't know. I, Maurice and I have actually never done DMT, not for any other reason, just because we're old, older dudes at this point. I'm not out there searching for things, you know. Uh, I think huh. I was offered it one time at a fish show, but the dude was so uh, yeah, sketch, you, that, sketchy. You didn't want to do that. You know? Yeah, you didn't know. And that, that was, we were like 16 or 17 in like a different city, you know. Uh, so yeah, it was just uh, one of those things. But It wouldn't uh, have been beneficial in this regard anyway. It would yeah. have been more of a party type atmosphere you know i'm open yeah. to it but i feel like if i'm gonna do it it's gonna find me kind of a thing i'm not gonna go out there yeah. searching for stuff at this because i've tried most of the other stuff anyways and i'm not saying i know what it's like but you know i i can imagine based on everybody's trip reports that it's some next level stuff probably like a a more interesting and fun version of salvia yeah salvia I, is a really i have done salvia decent amount and that is a yes that's a wild yes. trip I know Rick Strassman even talked about his uh, salvia experience, and he did not have a. Uh, no, it wasn't very pleasant. He didn't have a pleasant experience, based on what he was saying. I don't think most people have. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I've talked to anybody that's had like a groundbreaking, transformative LS, or uh, salvia experience that I can remember. I don't I've know if smoked. You have... I've smoked extract twice, and again, that was like when I was younger. I was like eighteen and nineteen, and it was just very weird, bizarre. 
it's hard to put into words. I mean, there's like this weird thing with gravity. Like I felt like I was being pushed and like, <laughs> you know, pulled in different directions. Um, but I have experimented with uh, tincture and that, you know, depending on the dose can be really nice. Um, and I, I did have a really positive experience with uh, oral salvia tincture um, at a medium dose range. Yeah, I, I know that uh, Hamilton's Pharmacopia episode where he masticates the leaves. After, he drinks yeah. like a full shake. It doesn't do anything, but then he masticates the leaves. It's something about masticating and t- touching your uh, oral receptors does something completely different. And I think that, that he said that that was one of his better trips. So I would assume if you're going down to Mexico, and I know that that's like one of the only places where it grows, that's the that's probably the way to do it is one of those shamanic rituals where uh, you masticate the leaves. And I know it lasts longer too, because each time you masticate it, you're getting more of it into those uh, receptors. So it definitely felt weird. I timed it. And I think like the peak only lasted like 20 to 30 minutes and it felt like hours. Um, But it was, it was a really enjoyable experience. Um, you know, surprisingly you to say that. Did you get anything like repeaty or like uh, the few times I did it, I think it was like 32X, very repetitive stuff, like fractally repetitive things happening. And as you mentioned, loss of like balance and coordination and stuff like that. Yeah, again, since this wasn't um, smoked, this is like orally taken. Um, this was much gentler. It was very meditative. Um, and then just had an experience with like the plant spirit, which was really nice too. It was like she kind of like came in and it was it was really interesting. I, I did an episode, to, went into a little bit more detail about it. But um, yeah, it was like very meditative, um, really calming. I mean, you definitely had some like interesting body effects. Nothing too re- Repeated. And again, you know, I think this was probably a medium dose, wasn't like a higher dose. I'm sure it probably gets weirder on high dose of salvia orally. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, dosing's important, knowing your dose. Would you equate it to like how, you know, similar to an ayahuasca versus smoking DMT, similar in ingesting salvia versus smoking salvia? You know, um, yeah, I think, well, yeah, I think like, uh, I think you're yeah right there. So thinking about smoking, I mean, when you smoke anything, right, it's more of like an intensity um, enters your bloodstream a lot quicker than taking it orally. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, the oral kind of uh, dosing is more subtle. Uh, you know, it takes a little bit longer to kick on, kind of like ayahuasca, right? Drinking and you kind of have that slower come on instead of smoking it and kind of you know the lap bar co- goes across your r- waist and all of a sudden you're on a roller coaster ride. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, what do you think, what, what, what motivates you at this point or what are you passionate about other than like the, you know, the activism stuff or like the clinical stuff, like what are you passionate about researching wise? Like, is there anything weird or interesting that you're into in the psychedelic realm that's, you know, related to like metaphysics or things like that? Um, that's a great question. You know, going back to that DMTX thing, I'm that that super fascinates me. I, I would love to just uh, understand, like, just hear people's reports and see what they come back with. I mean, that just kind of like would be really interesting to uh, just understand if they've had any entity contact. If what happens if you're able to stay in there for longer? Like, what type of things could you bring back? Um, that metaphysical kind of entity stuff has always fascinated me. I don't know what to do with it. Hmm. Um, you know, I've had my own experiences with it, and there's you know the part of me that goes that was completely real. Um, the other part of me was, you know, is going, well, that was like archetypal energy or like, you know, this is a part of me, you know, and I could sit there and and slice it different ways. So that stuff just really fascinates me because, yeah, what the hell is going on here? Um, and I find it interesting to, I guess, maybe from like the scientific perspective to just want to break that down into something more concrete versus like thinking about it more metaphysically and thinking about like, what if there's these entities are actually real? I always think about um, 
like this concept from Alfred North Whitehead, this idea of the fallacy of misplaced concreteness um, and thinking that, you know, if you have these th this type of experience, that experience is real, it may not be concrete in this physical reality, but there's something real about it. Mm. Um, and do we always need to boil it down, reduce it to say, well, that's just like a part of you or that's like an archetypal theme in the collective unconscious? Um, you know, that's just maybe what the, the, the drug does to you. Um, but thinking about like, I don't know, that experience is so damn real to me um, that 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 feels like it goes beyond reducing it down to just basic concepts. Um, it felt like there's some sort of intelligence there at times. Where does that come from? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I know. So those things fascinate me. I'm super interested in more of that stuff. I don't get to like explore it that much, um, but I think it's I think it's important, and especially from a clinical perspective, when more and more people are starting to have these experiences. How like for me as like a clinician, like trying to help people make sense of it. Um, you know, it's like sometimes that can be like just really shattering for people and they mm -hmm. don't really know what to do with it. And they go, what the hell was that? Um, so I think I think more research and trying to understand that would be helpful. But then that starts to get into this like weird blend between psychology and spirituality or religion. Right. Or philosophy and, and metaphysics of like, yeah, what, what is going on there? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the fun part of life, right, is speculating and hypothesizing yeah. and doing all those things. I know some people look down upon it, but whatever. I, I mean, I don't give a shit about those people, so uh, I'm just joking. Uh, I, look at the full I look at the full spectrum of things, but I think that you should do what you're passionate about, and you shouldn't let anybody dictate, you know, they look down upon. If you're interested in this realm of research, I think you should definitely look into it more. I'm all about you know, looking into weird things and the origins of things for sure. Um, yeah, I wonder if Strassman's uh, point changed. I remember I shared some of my experience with him back in 2010, and um, his answer is like, science doesn't want to hear about entities. Stick with the hard science. <laughs> track blood pressure. And I'm just like, uh, no, I don't want to stick with that. I want to understand. Yeah, that's not fun. Yeah, I mean, we've yeah. had him on a couple times. The first time we had on, we had him on, he was more open like about his first DMT experience mm -hmm. with Terrence McKenna. And then um, that when we just had him to on, check that out, he was even more open about his experiences. So I think it, now that he's not really tied to academia, academia. he can yeah. feel free to share what he actually thinks about things. And uh, I know he's been super into like mis mysticism and Jewish mysticism and the, the uh, uh, old Testament and all that stuff. So, um, when you look at, uh, well, you mentioned something about experiences, and I was going to say that sounds like something I've heard like Terrence McKenna say and even Dennis McKenna that, you know, the experience is real. Now, is there anything that can be taken back to this realm and like apply or give us some sort of insights in this realm? And I think that that's the big question, especially what you were bringing up, like the entities and stuff. Like, is there any knowledge to be gained from those experiences? And I think that one thing I would be interested in is people that see like symbolism or get talked or talk to these entities through um, like psychically or um, through again, through symbols. Like, is there a way to decode those symbols in that realm or is there a message to be given mm -hmm. as opposed to this like trickster element where, you know, you get like a brief second and then it's gone or, you know, you don't feel like you have enough time to really get in there and figure out what's going on. So I would be interested to see if that's a thing or is it something where it always feels like that in that realm and there's no act since there's no like concept of time there's no real way to like break down and process things like you would in this day-to-day -day consciousness yeah uh, well i'm thinking about some of my really profound experiences and i've definitely brought some of those lessons back with me um <clears throat> like those are just feel so core to me and you know, it's a practice of keeping it alive. And, you know, something that I always said, like, especially early on when I started to explore this, I, I kept thinking, like, do I really care if it's actually real? What impact has it had on my life? And it has had an impact on my life to some degree. And that's what I'm more interested in. What are you doing with that impact? And again, yeah, we're, we're kind of hinting towards this concept of integration. Um, how are we bringing these experiences back into our lives to, you know, hopefully move it forward and have it inspire us and 
teach us to maybe new ways of being in the world. Um, I think that's the most important thing because you could go down rabbit holes of really trying to figure (laughs) out like what's going on there. And I did do that. And to some degree, it just kind of made me spiral out from time to time. Um, And I had to pull back and say, well, what was the what was what was important about that experience and how is it impacting my life still? And, you know, that matters. Mm. Uh, it impacted me. And I'm still kind of, I, I still think about some of those experiences and the lessons and I go, yeah, I still keep that alive in me. And that, that's important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like you said, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of those uh, experiments and what people have to say. And, um, you know, I talking with Rick too, we were also discussing like preconceived notions and like, you know, mind viruses kind of a thing in the sense that like, even if you just we're talking about like the Terrence McKenna machine elf thing, like him just mentioning that could create some sort of imagery that has a lasting effect on people's psyches. And then going in, you might expect to see something like that and how much of that plays into these. Cause we know the mind is so malleable, especially yeah. when you're getting into a state that's, you know, you've got a lot of neuroplasticity going on. Like, are we creating a reality within reality at that point? You know, I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, that first psilocybin experience, like I had an experience with those machine elves and I didn't know anything about Terrence McKenna. And, you know, I guess growing up, the only influence that I would have taken in from that is, you know, friends going, oh, you know, like you eat mushrooms and see elves or pink elephants. Right. It's like, but <laughs> I think even those descriptions didn't prepare me of of what I experienced there. And for me, it was really tied to my near-death experience. And so I guess I'll just share that. Um, So, yeah, I only had like two grams of Cubensis. I went out into the woods with with my friend and I started to really feel it. And I started to feel really woozy and I I needed to sit down. My friend just puked his up. Um, And so I'm starting to like have some negative thoughts. And I started to have that quote unquote bad trip. I remember we were hiking through this trail and I found this little rock and and I pointed to that rock and said, this is where I'm going to die. And so I went to go sit on this little rock thinking, this is it. I'm dying. Uh, and all of a sudden I was overwhelmed with this, this familiar feeling of death creeping in. I got cold. Um, and, you know, when I get that cold, I mean, obviously that triggers a lot of traumatic memories of, you know, actually bleeding to death. Um and then all of a sudden, the world around me started to have teeth, um, and it felt like the world was just about to consume me. And, and I was just so terrified, going, what the fuck is going on right now? Like, this is just, you know, I, I can't contain anything. But if you go back into, like, you know, anthropological reports, like, this is very kind of archetypal. If you look at, like, the shamanic initiation, shamanic crisis, you know, they talk about not necessarily with mushrooms, but people will have these experiences of getting eaten or shredded um, by spirits um, or the world around you. And so that's what happened. I started to, to have panic. The world was about to consume me. I started to see teeth everywhere. Um, and then all of a sudden, I, I remembered back to my near-death experience, and I, I heard that voice again and said, the more you struggle, the harder it's going to be. And so at that point, I relaxed into it and I blacked out. Um, I entered into this void, felt like I was like traveling through the stars. Um, and you know, it, it was, it was scary. Um, cause I didn't know anything about myself. I didn't know my name. I was trying to grasp at everything that tied me to Kyle. But every time I said, who am I, where am I at? What do I do for a living? I literally couldn't remember anything about myself. Um, and then that got really scary of going, maybe I am dead right now. Um, I don't know where I am. I, you know, I'm obviously not in my body anymore. Um, and then all of a sudden these entities started to appear. Um, and, you know, I could draw them out, um, you know, kind of like these little green entities, beady black eyes, etc. And when I started to make contact with this, I said, holy shit. Hmm. I was like, I feel like I, I feel like I've been here before. Um, and so I was like, well, let me test this out. And as these things started to, to come into shape and form, it felt like it, it had some sort of telepath- telepathic communication. I said, you know, have I been here before? And they looked at me, said thousands of times. And I said, oh, shit, well, if I've been here before, this is really reminding me of death, then maybe I'm stuck in some sort of death bardo. Um, and mm-hmm. so I was like, all right, well, well let me ask a, another question. And I said, um, 
is this where is this the place where I went when I died that one night or almost died? And they just looked at me and said, more or less so. Um, and I said, okay, shit, okay, if I'm in a death bardo, I, this might be the place that like my spirit or soul went. Um, well, maybe this is God, or maybe this is you know these entities that I talked to that gave me this new all this new information. And so I asked them that again, said, you know, are, are you God? Are you the thing that I, I contacted that night um, as I was slipping away? And they just looked at me and said, more or less so. <laughs> um, you know, and for me, that's where I rationalize. And, and I say, that is the total trickster archetype. You know, I just like, you know, my mind created my near death experience. Um, obviously, that was the most highly charged piece of content that I've been struggling with for the past few years. I needed some sort of resolution. If we go back to Stan Groff's idea of what a psychedelic is, it's a non-specific amplifier of mental or psychic processes. I go, okay, this is the most highly charged piece of content that I'm working with. I took a psychedelic. It amplified all my crazy thoughts, ideas about life, death, um, and boom, I got catapulted into this mind, this like mind space of trying to make sense of what happened to me during that experience and all right, maybe my mind created that. That's one idea. That's one theory. Okay, I, I, I can deal with that even if we do reduce it down to, to say, th this trauma narrative on, on how to work with that. On the other hand, I go, that was really fucking weird. <laughs> and that felt very real. And it felt like there was some sort of intelligence there. That felt more real than this life. And that's weird to say. It's yeah, like more real than real, right? That's the archetype. Yeah. Yeah. And like, how, what is more real than real? I don't know. It's, it's weird to even say that. And you do hear that from a lot of people that have these really profound experiences, right? It's like, that was more real than real. Makes you question what the hell is real at that point, right? Mm -hmm. You go, well, okay, I can see and touch this physical reality, but um, that reality, whatever that was, that felt more, more real. Like, does the soul leave and, you know, does it go somewhere else? Are these realms real? Um could be. I don't know. Um, I like to speculate and just entertain it. I don't yeah. have any like concrete answers about it. Yeah, you mentioned um, the thing telling you or whatever, the download or giving you the idea that you've done this a million times. And I always go back to, what is it, The Cosmic Serpent by Jeremy Narby. Mm, yeah. When the whole thing is about shamanic experiences and DNA. And you were talking about shamanic uh, experiences and archetypes. And you mentioned the Eleusini Mysteries earlier. I mean, basically... That is a, sh a shamanic experience being taken into the underworld, you know, the yeah. Persephone, you know, obviously we know that there is most likely psychedelics involved and there is some physical evidence to back that up now. Um, but even go to Egypt with the myth of Osiris being chopped into a bunch of pieces and taken to the underworld and then being put back together. Like these are common themes you find in a lot of ancient mythologies and stuff like that. So I think that there's probably something to it and I more and more, I'm I'm starting to come to the conclusion that a lot of our ideas of metaphysics and metaphysical things come from these entheogens or psychedelic experiences or altered states in general, I guess. But Yeah, and that's was exactly my experience, being torn to shreds, being put into another world, felt like a hell realm for a little bit, and then put back together. Yeah. And when I finally came back from that, I felt like I was reborn. Um, you know, the world was glistering. It was like shimmers everywhere. There was so much magic. Um, and, and it was really beautiful. So it was like, yeah, going in the depths of hell and then coming back um, and returning and seeing the magic and beauty in the world. And, you know, I didn't know anything about like these kind of like these narratives that are, you know, in the collective, right? I mean, if you look right. at any sort of story, that's yeah, anthropology, mythology, it's all, all there. Um, that's why I've always been confused too. If you look at a lot of like academia in terms of like archaeology and stuff, they're never really concerned with the religion or the deities or anything like that. That's more of like an anthropological study side of things. But I think that it's all connected. If you're trying to understand the consciousness of these people, you can't just look at like a shard of pottery. You have to look at like what they believed in at the time and why yeah. they might have believed that kind. Of, you know. So I, I guess that's what I find interesting about those topics. But I can definitely relate to yours, and I think. You know, when people hear bad trip, they think, oh, it's somebody hiding under a table because they took took too much LSD or these old, you know, wives tales or whatever. But in reality, I think for me, my some of my more difficult trips have been the most beneficial in the sense of getting yeah. introspection. Uh, when I hear bad trip, I think unless it's some sort of occasional 
uh, psychosis or psychotic break, which you know you should never just take things willy-nilly. You should understand your own personal mind and your mental history and everything like that. But aside from that, I think that when you hear bad trip, I always think it's like productive. And I think that people that don't understand that take away a negative thing and maybe never do it again or never want to or will, you know, talk about it like that because they didn't understand that they had things within them that they were trapping inside or holding in that they weren't willing to deal with at that time or whatever, or maybe somebody had somebody pass away recently and then did it and had a bad experience. It's like, you kind of have to be mindful of those things, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, these are really powerful substances and they do carry some risk. And, you know, I think that's why I was always really set on that container set and setting and a lot of respect. I mean, I think a lot of those early experiences that were really challenging, <clears throat> such as that one, even though it had a beautiful outcome, um, really made me respect like what the hell is going on here and respect these medicines and these substances um, and going, you know, these for me, they aren't for always for fun. Um, you know, I, I just could never have fun with them. They were always very deep introspective. Um, and yeah, sometimes really challenging. Like a lot of deep material starts to emerge and you go, Ugh, I don't want to deal with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's scary. Right. Yeah. It's tough. Absolutely. Well, let's wrap it up here. I know we have a certain amount of time here, but I would like to get you back on at some point. I think that uh, this was an R4, baby. Yes. <laughs> this was an interesting conversation. I know we had Joe on twice, but maybe we can get you back on and uh, continue the awesome. conversation. But uh, yeah, really appreciate what you do and what Psychedelics Today is doing. And, uh, you know, I'll look more into the uh, Setting Sun Wellness. So you can check out both those websites, psychedelicstoday.com and settingsunwellness.com. And uh, yeah, is there anything else you want to plug out there before we get out of here? No, I just want to say thank you to you both for having me on. This is always fun. It's always fun to riff on more of this transpersonal stuff. I don't always get to riff on all the time. So yeah, thanks for holding the space, asking the questions. Um, And uh, well, I guess if anybody's interested in, um, you know, if any of your listeners are in the wellness space or clinicians or therapists, you can check out some of our education. Um, We have an eight week program. Um, You can check that out at uh, psychedeliceducationcenter.com and also have some free classes up there too. So um, if you want to dip your toes in, check that out. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was great to hear your story and uh, I like your take on things. And I think that um, it's always interesting having people on that have a different origin story but then we all kind of come around we're kind of all in the same realm right now um with just different yeah. backstories so uh i really appreciate every, like i said everything you guys are doing there keep doing it it's working and uh yeah before we get on on here head on over to our patreon at patreon.com slash escape podcast for just two dollars a month you'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments I will plug it one more time. I just threw new segments up there with Rick Strassman. There's one with Matthew Clark where we discuss what was Soma. I think we even discussed the Eleusinian Mysteries in that uh, segment. Um, Also, uh, I threw one up there with Laird Scranton recently. So there's a bunch on there. We have a bunch of them from our previous guests as well. So check that out if you're interested. Uh, One more time, head on over to indrasweb.org and sign up for an account. This is the social media platform we created to connect people, uh, connect open minds. If you like talking about this kind of stuff and metaphysics and the nature of reality and all that wonderful stuff, it's a perfect place to do it. Set up a profile today. And uh, one more time, if you are interested, we have Mind Escape t-shirt that we are going to be giving away at the end of October. Uh, All you have to do is go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, take a screenshot, and send it to mindescapepodcast at gmail.com, and we will pick a winner at the end of the month. So look at that beauty. It's a nice, thick uh, black shirt. And, uh, yeah, listen, again, Kyle, thank you so much for everything that you're doing, and we'll definitely have you back on in the future. Thank you. Everybody stay safe out there. We love you, and we will catch you next time. Peace. Peace.